Hello, thank you for joining us. It's another episode of Friendly Reminder. It's your friendly reminder of what's going on around the world, in our lives, and everything in between. My name is Gus, and I'll be your host as always. And joining me today is Dan. Dan, how are you today? Pretty good, Gus. How are you doing? Doing good. Ready to get started. And joining us also today is Eric. Eric, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I do have an announcement to make. I'd like to uh, congratulate Eric for becoming a full-time member of the Friendly Reminder crew. Yeah. Congratulations, Eric. Ooh, thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. Happy to, uh, to have you be part of the team. Uh, for those wondering, Sam is still with us. He's still on break, but hopefully we'll have him back soon, and it'll be us four plus guests and all that good stuff going forward. Uh, but let's get started, guys, and let's get started with... Uh, I think it's good news. Um, you know, on Thursday of last week, the CDC updated um, their guidelines on mask wearing um, and stated that for fully vaccinated Americans, um, masks are no longer required in most cases, whether it's indoors and outdoors. Uh, they are still required in certain cases like travel, any kind of public transportation, going to the airport. Uh, hospital visits, um, etc. But for most cases, fully vaccinated people are, um, at least per CDC, can now go without masks, uh, whether it's indoors or outdoors. Um, this came as a surprise because about two weeks prior to that, the guidelines were that fully vaccinated people uh, were allowed to, to not allowed, but they, it was recommended that they could uh, not wear masks outdoors, but indoors, it was still advised to, to still wear masks. Um, so this came as a bit of a surprise. Uh, a couple of changes have been happening already. Uh, stores like Costco, Walmart, uh, among other um, grocery stores have decided that they're going to allow customers to not wear masks. They're essentially going by the honor system. They're not asking for any kind of proof of vaccination. They're just going to assume that if you're not wearing a mask, that means you're you're fully vaccinated and you're comfortable not wearing it. How do you guys feel about this? Did you, did it take it take you as a surprise, or um, are you happy about it? Um, Dan, let's start with you. Yeah, you know, I when I first heard it, I was a little like, oh, seems kind of early because you know our vac the vaccination numbers seem to be. Not 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 you know slowing a bit, but you know also the slowdown is slowing a bit. Like they're not they're definitely not going as quickly as they were before. But you know they're not definitely not uh, you know they're progressing somewhat nicely. But I think you know they're they're people are, they've reached the point where they're trying to get people who are maybe just being a little lazy or not thinking there's any benefit to this. So why go through the hoops of getting it? So I get where they're coming from with this, where they want, you know, on the one hand, they, I think, have probably had studies indicating that, you know, individuals who are vaccinated are unlikely to contract the disease, even if they're not wearing a mask, and also unlikely to have a serious, if they do contract it, to have as serious of a case. So I think this was probably somewhat long time coming. I think the surprise comes from more just the fact that it's like a, a switch, you know, it seems like so sudden in that regard. Like it's like, oh, first they were telling us masks everywhere. Now they're telling us the exact opposite. But I mean, that's sort of how these decisions have to be made, like with with sort of clear guidelines that are not, you know, and which I think this is, which is, you know, I think a lot of people are having issues with this because it is kind of blunt, blunt um, advice to people. So I think they're taking it as, you know, 
people without who have been vaccinated have a low risk. And other individuals, I guess they're kind of putting it in their hands at this point. You know, vaccines are widely available enough where if you jump through some hoops to get them, you should be able to get them without cost. So it's kind of up to you. And um, as a whole, you know, maybe that's that's OK, I guess. Um, now, do I think this could have negative public health consequences? Of course. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, I'm 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 not the CDC. I'm not reading the science. I'm putting my trust in them to assess the situation, not, you know, from a scientific perspective, but also from the perspective of a of, you know, an agency that has to deal with people, you know, not not sort of perfect uh, entities that are, are perfectly predictable, but a large chunk of people who are, are going to act unpredictably and irrationally. And um, yeah, so so I started out being kind of skeptical of it, but I've come around and I, I think it's a good idea. Now, the question about, you know, how comfortable am I going to be going into like a grocery store without a mask on? I, that's a separate question. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's maybe, I can look at the science and be like, okay, I'm, I'm not that at risk. Uh, but at the same time, maybe, you know, for other reasons, you know, store rules, especially around here are for the most part have maintained uh, that, you know, when you're in close proximity indoors, you should be wearing a mask, uh, whether you're, whether you're vaccinated or not. So. Um, so, yeah, that's how that's how I feel about it. It's it's you know, I think I'm feeling better and better about it. And it does feel a little more like an end is in sight. Um, uh, which is great. You know, it's a great feeling in in a time when you when I felt like this is this is sort of endless and and will never end and will be part of our lives forever. So, yeah, Eric, are you fully vaccinated? Did yes, you get both. Of mm-hmm. yeah. I got both so, my doses. Nice. So, are you comfortable um, going out to like a public place, a grocery store? Let's say they don't require a mask. Are you comfortable not wearing a mask, or are you going to keep the mask wearing going for a while? I'm actually going to keep the mask wearing going for a while. Um, and I actually work at a grocery store and I would recommend still keeping the mask on. Yeah. So mm-hmm. as an employee, yeah. you're still going to still going to keep that going. Yeah, I'm still going to keep that going. Do you think you're going to be upset with customers who don't? Well, I don't know if your grocery store is requiring it, but if they don't, are you going to be upset about that? And would you be upset about customers who aren't wearing masks? Um, I'm not. I don't. I don't. I, I don't get upset about that because I actually work graveyard, so I only okay. I only have to deal with customers for about an hour, and then we close, and then I, the rest of my shift is after that. Got it. Okay. So I don't have to worry about that too much, but <clears throat> I'm pretty sure our our grocery store is still enforcing masks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do believe that. Yeah, and I I think there's going to be some stores, some restaurants, some local businesses that are still going to enforce it. Maybe some gyms, for example. I'm still going to carry my mask around wherever I go, especially if I go out in public, just to respect those guidelines, even though I am fully vaccinated. I'm probably comfortable taking off the mask now, if I can. Of course, especially outdoors, but I'm if if the CDC is saying that it's it's safe, and that the risk of transmission, which was really my concern previously, not necessarily getting sick because I understand that there's the high protection, not only of, of not getting COVID after fully vaccinated, but even if you do get it, you, you won't have severe 
symptoms or, or symptoms that require hospitalization. So if the CDC is saying that, um, you know, the risk of transmission is very, very low, then I'm more comfortable going out without the mask. But if any kind of employer requires it, I'm going to be respectful of those guidelines. And I think it's important for fully vaccinated people to understand that because from the eyes of an employer, they're just trying to keep everybody safe. They're trying to keep their employees safe. They're, they're trying to keep um, you know other clients safe. We have to keep in mind that right now in the United States, even though our vaccination rates have been really good, only 35% of the eligible population is fully vaccinated. So we're not even halfway there to, to have the, you know, all eligible um, adults, uh, or even now that adolescents uh, from 12 and 15 are, are eligible, we still have a long way to go to even get to like 70%. So it's it's something to keep in mind when you see a, you're when you're fully vaccinated, but you go to a place that still requires masks, they're doing it just to keep everybody safe. And hopefully the majority of us are respectful of those decisions, even though I know that <laughs> I was gonna say that. Yeah, the flip side of this is it's gonna give ammo to every person who's been not wanting to wear a mask or fight these mandates from the beginning, even though those people often are not the vaccinated people too, ironically. So they'll uh, just cause a lot of issues, um, unfortunately. So I get it, but, uh, you know, we can't. How long have you guys been vaccinated for? Have you, have both of you guys gotten the second dose as well? Yeah. A couple of months at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been vaccinated for a while. Um, I got my first dose in January and then my second dose oh. late February. So yeah. I've been, okay. I've been so fully I just, I just got my second. It hasn't been the two weeks yet after the second dose. So that's part of the reason oh. why I'm still wearing my mask. Yeah. Oh, so technically so. you're not fully vaccinated. Just yeah. Yet, you, you, <laughs> I think it does. It does count those two weeks after the second dose for you to be considered fully vaccinated. Um, okay, so yeah, so that's why. That's current CDC reason. guidelines, you probably should still be wearing a mask wherever you. Well, not outdoors, probably. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to read the CDC guidelines. Um, <laughs> if you're not fully vaccinated, it's it's very important to to still keep following that. And that's an important message too, right? Because there's still a lot of us that are not fully vaccinated. And, you know, don't take this news as you can also not wear a mask. It's, it's like, no, for those not fully vaccinated, masks are still as important as ever. Also, for the love of God, unless you have a a legitimate medical reason not to get vaccinated please just get vaccinated have you guys had to like urge or pressure somebody to to get it i've had to encourage a few people to get vaccinated yeah, mm -hmm. yeah me as well yeah i've been i've been lucky enough that members of my media family have um have all been vaccinated already or, or are scheduled to get vaccinated um i don't think i've had to urge anybody i i, I know People out from my peripheral, like friends of friends, that that are hesitant. But I don't know. Do you guys think this is a political play to to encourage people to get vaccinated? Um, because you know, I, I can understand. I don't agree with it, but I understand the perspective of, well, if the vaccines work, why do I has why do I still have to keep wearing a mask after? Um, and then that's why they don't go get vaccinated. They don't feel like they get enough freedom out of it. So maybe these new guidelines are encouragement to be like, yes, once you get that vaccine and you go, you know, you get both doses, if it's a two dose vaccine and you wait the, the waiting period, the two weeks or whatever, and you're fully vaccinated, then you're basically, you can basically go maskless. But do you think that'll work? Even if it is a political play, like it, is that going to encourage people or is it just really going to lead to people just saying that they're vaccinated even if they're not? 
That's a hard question. My personal belief, it's not based on anything. It's pure speculation. I think the science has been there for a while, and I think they got comfortable with the science and then, yes, made a political calculation. That would be the sort of best way to go. That's my opinion, and just because from what I've seen, the science is pretty pretty persuasive that, yes, when you're vaccinated, you do have your transmission rate, you're getting it, and the severity is, is much lower. Um, so I think that's that's how I see it. Uh, whether it was, I think politics played a role in it, but I do think the science is there. Um, do I think it'll work? Not really, no. Uh, because I think if you were inclined to not wear a mask anyway, or, or, or people will just use it, yeah, unvaccinated people who either did not go through the trouble or who are actively avoiding it will just use it as an excuse not to wear a mask. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, at a certain point, don't, <laughs> doesn't society just have, again, if, as long as the vaccine is like readily available to people that, you know, that's a big if, but don't we kind of just have to like let people yeah. make a decision, make a decision and then, and then move on. We can't just sort of wait on everybody else. That's the problem. You have the you have the conservatives saying, "Oh, this is going on forever," and it's like, "Yeah." And now we're bringing it to an end, and you're trying to stop it by not getting vaccinated. So it's like, uh, "Hello, like who's actually trying to end this?" You know what I mean? Um, that's kind of how I feel about it. And so, yeah do do I think it's gonna work? No, <laughs> mostly just because I'm pessimistic about all of this stuff. Like I'm pessimistic about all of the like. Oh, you get free French fries if you get vaccinated. You get a free, you get in Ohio, it's like you get into a lottery to win a million dollars, which is pretty cool. But like, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Once you peel off the number of people who are just maybe being lazy, I don't think you're getting the people who think like Bill Gates is injecting you with a microchip. I don't think they're like, oh, free French fries. All right. Bill Gates, inject me with the microchip and I'll get those free Shake Shack French fries. And I do want to stress, I think, um, if you hear people that are saying, you know, stop wearing masks, the CDC is on our side, you know, to take off the mask, you look, it's, it's ridiculous, it's making, you wearing a mask is making me feel uncomfortable, like Tucker Carlson said. I, I encourage our listeners to look at the history of those individuals, because if, if they're also, if they were also the ones that are skeptical about vaccines and, and were saying that perhaps they don't work or they might cause side effects and they're not worth it, or even before that, they were skeptical of COVID um, and said that it's not that big deal. It, it it only kills you know zero point zero two percent of the population, um, or or said that yes, COVID ended up being bad, but we have to move on. We have to just get out there. We have to live our lives. If that's the history of those individuals, then those people are not your friends, and they never wanted to actually address this pandemic in a reasonable way. And only now that there's like CDC guidelines after after being fully vaccinated, that they're like, well, the science is now on my side. Like <laughs> it's like fuck you. You know, you weren't there for us when we were actually reasonably uh, dealing with this pandemic and now you're just taking advantage of the situation and we only got here in spite of you not because of you so just keep that in mind someone posted a thing from tucker carlson's show that was like right before the cdc changed his guidelines he was complaining that this was totalitarianism because you're even if you get vaccinated this is perpetually you're going to be stuck in this this 
situation with social distancing and masks and everything. And then the CDC changed its guidelines immediately, and he was complaining about that. It's like, uh, bro, pick a side. Pick a side. They're never going to be happy. They're never... Yeah. Um, well, still, a positive news, I think, overall, and hopefully a sign that we're only couple of months six months eight months i don't i don't know but hopefully we're we're nearing the end of this horrible horrible event that really changed our lives but let's go ahead and move on to our next topic and we're going to talk about our old friends at the republican party um so i don't know if you guys followed this but okay i'm going to try to be very careful and i want dan and eric here kind of i hope you guys have my back because I don't want to come through this topic as trying to defend Liz Cheney. Um, I don't want to come off uh, as a Cheney defender. Uh, but just to, you know, cover the topic, Liz Cheney um, did uh, lose her position. She was ousted as the uh, third highest uh, ranking member of the uh, of the Republican Party or of the minority party in, in the House. Uh, and she was replaced by Elise Stefanik, who is a... Now, uh, a very big Trump supporter. She used to be more of a moderate Republican that uh, actually voted in, in moderate ways previously. Uh, she voted for Trump about 77% of the time compared to Cheney, who was like 97% of the time. Uh, but the reason Liz Cheney essentially was ousted from her position uh, was because she kept mentioning the fact that the election was legitimate. And to say that it was stolen uh, is dangerous, and it's dangerous to both the Republican Party and it's dangerous to the country. Um, Kevin McCarthy came out with several statements and several interviews saying that she he didn't necessarily have a problem with that fact, but he had a problem with the fact that Liz Cheney kept bringing it up, um, <laughs> which, which is hilarious to me. Um, and that's the reason, because now the Republican Party, quote unquote, Needs to move on, and it needs to move on from from the uh, from January six and the the Capitol insurrection. Um, it's funny that Kevin McCarthy says that about Liz Cheney, but doesn't say anything about Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Still, constantly bringing up the fact that oh no, Donald Trump won the election; he should be president, and it was stolen from him. Um, he doesn't say anything about that. <laughs> He's like we need to. We need to move on. Uh, meanwhile, Trump on his weird blog is said on the 15th that the presidential election will go down as the crime of the century. <laughs> yeah. You know, we need to move on. Uh, yeah. Apparently there's no moving on from that. Um, so I, I want to I wanted to bring this topic up because I, I think it's important to really call this for what it is, because we talk about the Republican Party being the party of Donald Trump now. Um, this is another evidence that that is indeed the case. But I think this is also evidence uh, that shows what is Trumpism, because Trumpism isn't some core political ideology. Trumpism isn't conservatism. Uh, Trumpism isn't, isn't a belief in tax cuts or small government um, or, or deregulation or anything like that. In this specific case, what Trumpism is, is anti-democracy. It's authoritarian, authoritarianism, right? Like it's, it's denying a free and it's denying the results of a free and fair election in favor of a lie that says that those results should be overturned uh, because that's all it is. I mean, Liz Cheney is more conservative, conservative than Elise Stefanik uh, by quite a bit. And she has a longer history working with the, with the, um, 
the higher ups in the Republican Party. And I mean, she is the daughter of Dick Cheney, for the love of God. And apparently now she's not pure enough I don't, for, for the Republican Party, simply because she just faces the obvious facts that it was a it was an actual election with actual results and we shouldn't keep bringing up a lie that that could lead people to commit horrible acts like what happened in January 6th again I'm not a Cheney supporter I don't I don't believe in, in really anything else that she supports I'm just okay with the fact that she is saying this about the election and that's it and but apparently this is not this is too much for the Republican Party, and she had to go, at least from her position. Yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like um, going back to what the the what Trumpism is. It sounds like what it is is if you're not with us, you're against us. Is what this means to seems to be to me because they, I mean, she's not loyal to them, and so they pick somebody who was. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what it is. It's loyalty to the to the president of the United States, but in this or the former president of the United States, but in this case the president of the United States doesn't believe in an actual democracy and wanted to overturn the results of a legitimate election. And this party is standing by that. And this is going to be the party going forward. This is going to be the party that, you know, we're, we're going to have to deal with in 2022 and 2024. And, and the future of the Republican Party is just a series of Trump loyalists and nobody else. You know, there was this talk about like a Republican civil war or, or that a schism was, was going to occur, but there is no civil war. There, like 99% of the Republican Party is a Trumpian party. That isn't a fall. I believe there are, aren't there purges, similar purges taking place at, in the state level too, where the, the parties are becoming more conservative. And, you know, al- along with all these state level changes of the, the voting rights rules, I think I, I saw some bit of analysis that said if this was the party, you know, there was a thin, there were like a thin, and we talked about it on Friendly Reminder, the Republican state officials in these swing states were like the thin line between (laughs) the end of democracy and, uh, you know, having an actual election and they managed to pull it out. And now they're being systematically purged from the party. So it's like, if the, if the election were rerun today, I don't think, uh, you know, it would not have come out the same way. Right. I mean, it's it it is kind of remarkable that uh you know Liz Cheney who very publicly uh fought with her gay sister over their marriage and basically called her gay sister's marriage illegitimate is not is no longer uh pure enough is a rhino in the Republican Party like legitimately calling people calling her a rhino which is amazing um I, I to be honest I don't really even know what this party is anymore and I don't know if you know I've speculating for a while. I've been saying or I've been thinking that them tying themselves to Trump was a bad idea. Um, although I thought that, you know, in the run up to the 2016 election when he won. So um, I don't really know how good my judgment is on that regard. But it does seem like sort of tying yourself permanently to this idiot who's currently, you know, banned from Twitter, Facebook and everything and and is incredibly old and will not. I mean, I'm very skeptical he's going to be able to beat run again. I, I think he's probably going to die before he has a chance to run again. But um, 
I don't know. I, I think they may be shooting themselves in the foot in that regard, uh, because how do you cohere once you lose this this dude, you know? And this guy who is not even like, I mean, he's nowhere anymore. He's not even, he's such a quiet presence. He's not able to influence anything anymore because he's just on this dumb little blog that nobody reads. <laughs> um, and he doesn't even tweet on the blog as much as he did when he was on Twitter. So, um, I, I, yeah, so I, you know, I hope this is the Re- Republican Party shooting themselves in the foot. Um, I'm skeptical. A rhino? Uh, Republican in name only. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How come we never use Dino that much? You know, that I think we call. Work. I think they call them Blue Dog Democrats is what they <laughs> tend to call. Or Joe Biden Dino. Democrats. <laughs> yeah, I thought Blue Dog isn't a Blue Dino. Dog Democrat like an endearing term. Like it's not used negatively, is it? Like I think it's just that to describe moderate Democrats, but it's not a. It's not supposed to be an insult per se. Oh, I always used it as an insult, but that's probably more just me. <laughs> just Do being Democrats like, have insults for other Democrats? <laughs> We're too nice. <laughs> We're yeah. <laughs> oh, well, no. The, no, the, I mean, the left, yeah, they... they I don't want to get into well, that whole thing. Oh, people have insults for the left, too, so... No, I mean, the left... It ha- does the left have insults for the left like the right has insults for the right calling Liz Cheney a rhino? <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't think they actually have, like, they don't use dino, which I think is right there. That, that should work just fine. Listeners, um, let us know. Yeah. Give us a, give us a, send us an email. <laughs> but I, I, I've thought about the political calculations behind this mood or uh, move. Um, and I go back and forth because I've, on a, on a national level, you would look at this and see, like, why do they stand behind this guy that lost pretty decisively? Like, I know some, some you know, in some states like Wisconsin, it was pretty close. But overall, it wasn't as close as 2004 or 2000 when when uh, Bush barely, barely won. Um, and but then again, maybe they look at the 2020 election and the results in the House that were quite a bit better th- than Republicans were expecting. And maybe on a congressional level, um, Trump does grow the party, perhaps. Um, Elise Stefanik is uh, is actually from a district that used to be an Obama uh, voting um, county. And and now it's it's it was Trump. Like, I think it went Trump like 55 to 45 in the in the 2020 election. So maybe that's an indication that there's some areas where Trump can can actually grow the party in terms of votes. I'm not sure. I'm like you, Dad. I'm hoping this is a political miscalculation and ends up shooting them in the foot. But what is obvious is that this is the Republican Party fully embracing the end of democracy. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way around it, right? Like this is this is this is them saying that legitimate elections shouldn't count if we lose. I don't want to get off into the Arizona audit, which is like this hilariously inept audit where Republicans are trying to prove that there was there was a shenanigans that led to the Democrats winning in Arizona and uh, the president of the United States tweeted on it, you know, quote unquote tweeted on his blog the other day that the entire database was deleted, which was completely false <laughs> but he tweeted it anyway and of course everybody believed all the conservative outlets believed him and and that went off from there but um i don't want to get too far because it's a ridiculous situation but i do feel like it is setting us up for what is going to happen what is happening right now and what is going to happen in the future which is to say 
very soon we're going to be in a situation where Republicans will refuse to seat like a legitimately elected Democratic president or something. And then I don't know what the hell we're going to do um, at that point, but it's coming. I mean, it's inevitable. Yeah, it's bound to happen. This yeah. this is a Republican Party saying that they're not going to go back from from you know, what happened in 2020 and what happened during the Capitol riots. This is an, uh, I mean, they're even whitewashing that, you know, you're, you're saying people like Ron Johnson say that, uh, you know, those, those uh, riots were uh, overstated. They were exaggerated. Uh, I think one of them said that it just looks like a tour, like a regular Washington DC tour. Um, and if you look at the video, like of, of you know, them um, attacking police officers, uh, attacking security officers, breaking in, breaking windows, going through the windows. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like how it's absolutely scary that they're willing to downplay that situation because that's just going to lead to an even bigger event in in the future and in a more dangerous event. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up wasn't because I'm concerned about Liz Cheney or or I think Liz Cheney is a patriot or she's fighting for American democracy. I think Liz Cheney is just stating the obvious. Um, and everything else about her, from my perspective, is horrible. But in this case, she's just stating the obvious and she's just saying that it wasn't a lie and or the, that the election wasn't stolen, I should say. And that was enough to get her kicked out of her position, of, of her, um, you know, being ranked uh, uh, in the third highest position in the Republican Congress. I don't know. I, I'm very fearful for what's to come in 2022 and 2024. Were they making an example of her, maybe? I guess if you say something. Yeah, I mean, they're saying that you have to stick with Trump. And and they're saying that because they're afraid of being primary in in these upcoming elections because if trump senses that somebody isn't loyal to to him then he's just going to pick a primary opponent campaign for them and you know that that allow the that allow that primary opponent to to win the election so there's there's fear of that anyways i think that's enough when it comes to to this subject and the reason for that is we have quite a bit of a of a what's the what's the right word for it of a issue to to tackle here in in our next topic because there has been increasing horrific conflict um in Israel uh and the Gaza strip. I don't feel like I'm equipped to really cover the details here. Dan, I think you've done a much better job of following the situation here, so I'm going to go ahead and throw this to you. Can you give us a rundown as to what's been happening in, in that area over the last couple of days or weeks? Sure, I'll give you a quick 30-second pitch on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. <laughs> quick, simplified, bullet point, executive summary. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so... Uh, um. You know, over the last couple of days, you know, there are three three territories that are sort of disputed under occupation by the Israelis, according to the Palestinians, which is the West Bank, the Gaza Strip and East Jerusalem. Um, you know, there are Palestinian, they are Palestinian um, ethnic groups living in those areas, but they also... Uh, they are subject to all sorts of restrictions by Israel. For example, Israel is currently in um, armed occupation of the West Bank um, and the Gaza Strip. They are not currently occupying it, but they do control 
most of the borders, although I believe Egypt controls one of the borders, but they control all of the most of the borders, uh, ingress and egress, which means if you want to enter or leave the Gaza Strip, you go through Israel. They also control, I believe, the water supply and, you know, a huge percentage of the residents do not have clean water and they only get about five hours of electricity per day, which, again, is is under Israel's control. Israel can, has a complete blockade um, other than, again, the the Egyptian border. Um, that is to say they, they do not let goods or anything in and, and you need permission from Israel to leave or to, to come in to the Gaza Strip. So it, this has led many people to not unreasonably call this area um, an open air prison. Um, basically, it is also one of the more, most densely populated areas in, in the world. Um, and uh, the Palestinians that live in the Gaza Strip, one thing to note about them is their the median age is uh, 17 and a half, which is to say half of the people living on the Gaza Strip are children. Um, now, all that sort of provides context for what comes next, which is to say these uh, there are settler gl- groups in Israel who are um, who go and basically try to set up uh, Jewish settlements in order to give the country a more um, Jewish ethnic. Of, well, I mean, there's not not really an easy way to say this to make it more Jewish. Right. So they're, they're, they 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 want to make it more Jewish. Um, so in in this case, um, in East Jerusalem, there was a a private uh, group, but with the, also had the tacit has the tacit support of the Israeli government, who were evicting um, several families off of their land and giving them to uh, Jewish settlers. Um, in you know, in fact, one of these Jewish settlers was actually originally from uh, the Bronx. Uh, and he was taking a Palestinian family who had been on their land for for you know decades and kicking them off and 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 these, this was this is a process going through the Israeli courts but basically there was there was a lot of protesting and unrest in the city and uh, the IDF uh, acted pretty uh, aggressively against the Palestinian protesters in this in this uh, city and uh that led to a lot of different um uprisings across the country um one of the other flashpoints in this was the um god it's it's even hard to describe what the, what the thought process here was but the IDF basically invaded uh a very prominent mosque um, and you know the theory the art, the reasoning behind it was well they were going in to stop troublemakers from creating um you know trouble but they, but but you had this image of literal soldiers and 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 grenades uh sorry ga- you know smoke grenades going into a mosque and they apparently cut the speakers cuz you know as you might know muslims have uh, loudspeakers that that blare out the call to prayer every day and the idf cut the speakers in this mosque like th- this is like horrendous we're, we're watching like a a um armed occupation of a, of a mosque and, and, you know, individuals being brutalized inside a mosque. And, and, you know, I think the IDF's line was, well, it was preemptive to sort of, to, to head off, you know, troublemakers because there was all this unrest uh, related to these evictions. Um, But obviously that just caused more unrest. And now there's rioting across all cities. And I think something that happened that was very um, disturbing to a lot of people is even in cities that have been considered uh, very uh, progressive, or at least like you'd have mixes of of, of Jewish and uh, Arabic population have been uh, some somewhat going and having uh, you know unrest and having mob violence, not not just um, 
you know, not it was it's been Arabic anti-Jewish violence, you know, burning of synagogues, that kind of thing, but also right-wing Jewish anti-Arabic violence, um, you know, culminating in uh there was a guy who was you know, an Arabic guy who was dragged out of his car and beaten nearly to death on live TV um, by, you know, right wing Jewish mobs taking revenge against, uh, you know, their their theory was they, they marched to these cities and they were taking revenge against the right wing or not the right wing, the Arab uh, mobs who they say were hurting, hurting Jewish people. But um, this is, you know, and 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 uh, to add even more complexity, to the situation Hamas, which is the current party in Gaza Strip, current ruling party in Gaza Strip. But, you know, as I said, Israel has a lot of control there and Hamas kind of has just sort of administrative power. Um, They've sort of launched a volley and continue to launch a volley of missiles at Israel, sort of wantonly, not not really directed anywhere. But Israel has an iron dome dome system that is able to block a huge percentage of those missiles. And, and, you know, they're I, I. you know, Gus, you were telling me that some Israeli civilians have been killed, but it's been uh, a small enough number. And not that I'm, again, any amount of civilians being killed is terrible and Hamas should be condemned for wantonly firing these missiles. But, um, you know, what happens is Israel turns around and takes uh, what they call self-defense. But what can really I mean, what really can only be called like like i mean i can't really call it anything else but massacring um huge percentage huge chunks of civilians in gaza and you know israeli israel does a lot of these like uh things they they try to evacuate buildings and things like that which you know i'm glad that they do those things but at the same time it's 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 not enough like <laughs> clearly they're they're bombing again one of the densest populated areas in the world that's half children that cannot leave um, and that are in the Gaza Strip. And and they're doing it under the argument that they're defending themselves. Well, I mean, absolutely not. Like, it's not, that's not defense. That's, that's, you're clearly, and, and, you know, like, look, Israel's argument is we're attacking Hamas and these, Hamas is using these civilians as human shields. I don't think we would buy that argument. And, you know, the whole situation is very complicated. But what I ultimately come down to is if this situation were flipped and this were a beleaguered Jewish population that was periodically massacred or was under military occupation by a large Arabic country, a large, powerful Arabic country with a huge military that was getting billions of dollars from the United States. I wouldn't have any trouble calling this an ethnic cleansing. <laughs> I would not have any trouble saying like, oh, my God, like the Jews in is in, you know, whatever this hypothetical state would be called are being ethnically cleansed and are being treated horribly. So the flip side is, uh, how could I not say that this is what's happening there? Um, uh, you know what what Israel is doing in this situation? Um, it it. it, it you know, I, I think at, at this point, it's almost 100 civilians killed, Gus. I'm not sure if you have any more specific numbers, but it's like it's 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 horrendous. And like um, many, many of those were children. Like I said, half the population of the Gaza Strip is children. Um, yeah, I do. Um, so I'm just looking at a New York Times article here um, and Palestinian. Palestinian officials claim that uh, at least 192 people, uh, most of them civilian, including 58 children, have been killed by either Israeli planes, drones, um, and artillery. Um, Israel claims that 12 people have been killed by Hamas rockets. Um, 
and again, and I'm not trying to like just compare numbers and 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 figures here because these are people's lives and um any any civilian death or any kind of death is is should be mourned and it's tragic but you know there is a responsibility here as to, in terms of how to, how to act you know we talk about proportional responses 192 people dead 58 children doesn't seem like a proportional response and that's that's even if you want to justify a proportional response which is another argument altogether um but you're right like in terms of if if it, we if this were flipped and and we would be talking about a jewish population getting killed this way we would see it as a slaughter uh it's never mentioned as a slaughter in in, in the media we we constantly see the the term that um you know fight uh, escalate or conflict escalates <laughs> um I mean, yeah, it, I, I suppose it, it it escalates in the sense that one army is coming in here and and killing hundreds and hundreds of of civilians. And you are right that they're saying that you know Hamas is using civilians as as human shield, but this is a very dense area, and when you launch rockets into this area, you're going to, you know, end up with with civilian casualties. I do want to state that. Joe Biden, the president of the United States, just made a statement basically saying that Israel has the right to defend itself and that he condemns um, the uh, the attacks by Hamas, which, you know, fine. I, I don't think there's any problem with condemning the the the, the actions of Hamas in, in terms of the rockets being launched in Israel. I think everybody is... is uh, in the same page when it comes to that. I, I haven't seen anybody in favor of the Rockets, uh, at least not in the circles that, I, that, that I'm part of. Um, but there was no mention of it, the, the actions of, of the Israeli government here in terms of, of how, how they dealt with the situation. And there was no mention of the hundreds of Palestinian civilians that have died because of this, this incident these last couple of days. There has been, you know, some in some parts of the Democratic Party, a much bigger pushback against um, these the actions of the Israeli government, but that's still not being reflected in the White House. And sadly, I think this is one situation where I don't think Joe Biden is going to change. I think that he is going to stand by Israel. I'm hoping, at the very least, that in terms of you know i hate using these terms but in terms of optics we start seeing some of the actions of of the israeli government and start realizing that this isn't always a both sides situation or or both sides are doing um, equal damage in in some sense this is a slaughter and i think it should be called out that way i mean it's kind of amazing that that the less and less ethically defensive uh, defensible this this gets uh the more the american bipartisan consensus around israel sort of hardens <laughs> like you know elizabeth warren tweeted something out that was like well the i you know israel and and hamas have to like negotiate a ceasefire and it was like that's that's your statement on it we're playing we're funding one side of this conflict for to the tune of Billions of dollars a year in military spending, and you're saying both sides need to sort of sort, get come to the table and sort this out. It's just so coward cowardly. Like it's not like <laughs> like you need to say 
no, Israel needs to stop doing this or figure something else out. And I'll say the broader, you know, I, I've gone around and around on this issue over the years, and I've many times retreated to the idea that, well, it's complicated, you know, there's so many issues and there's such a long history, but it's hard, like, you can not know any of that history and still you are forced by the things that are going on today to come to an actual uh, moral assessment of the situation, which is to say you think Israel should stop doing this. <laughs> um, and you're, you have to do that, even if you don't know anything about the situation. And like, we don't even have to, com- we don't even have to go too hypothetical because we talked about on this show, the U.S. had to stop its support of Saudi Arabia's bombing campaign in Yemen. And Joe Biden did it. And we were happy about that. Now, now I'm not saying that there's like a, you know, the bombing campaign in Yemen was a genocide on a scale that is not, that is not, it's not comparable to what's going on in Gaza. But my point being that it, it doesn't matter, you know, it, it's not like Israel is a Jewish state or, but in the same, at the same time, we were, we were just as critical of Saudi Arabia and just as, uh, you know, uh, critical of the, Democrat or even the the bipartisan sort of consensus around Saudi Arabia and still are critical of that. But at the very least, um, we've been able to push Joe Biden off of supporting the bombing campaigns in in Yemen. Um, But you're right. I don't think we're going to be able to do that on on Gaza. Um, I will say one thing about you were saying the media coverage of this. I agree. Like I saw, you know, the the West Bank is a is a discontinuous area uh, from the Gaza Strip, so it's a separate area, and it is under military occupation. And I saw headlines that were like, uh, you know, uh, violence flares up. And I looked at the article, and it was like thirty civil thirty Palestinian civilians uh, were killed. And, and they were throwing rocks at these tanks and stuff, and it was reported as violence flaring up when it was Palestinians in an occupied area under military occupation throwing rocks at tanks and, and getting killed as a result. And that was their violence flaring up narrative. I don't think that... I think that we've... People have... The U.S. has diluted itself into a situation where a one of the most powerful countries in the world and we do this to ourselves too but you know this is in particular we're talking about Israel one of the more powerful with the one of the most powerful militaries in the world a nuclear power um does not is not like being oppressed by the Palestinians but that is how we interpret it that is the lens we interpret it through and it doesn't make any sense um and and I think for too long, we've sort of allowed ourselves to interpret it through that lens, and I think that we've we really need to acknowledge that that's a highly problematic lens to be interpreting the situation from. It 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 completely wipes away any discussion of the power dynamics on the ground, and and it says, well, yeah, these Palestinians are basically Nazis because they hate the Jews, and so the Jews have to destroy them just like they would the Nazis. Does it's completely that's that's the argument. But it's it's incoherent. It doesn't acknowledge anything that's actually going on on the ground. And I think um, I think some of that is is obfuscated by by the whole like it's complicated uh, narrative. Like it's uh, there's yeah there, there's too much history. It's complicated. It's not as easy as you think because some of it isn't that complicated. Um, some of it, you know, like it's not that compu- complicated to to know that in this case, 
there is a part part of uh, of the conflict is is occupied and the other is the uh, occupier right yes. um it's not that complicated to say that when you criticize a government you're not criticizing its people or all of all of the citizens within that nation or an entire religion uh right for for us to criticize a right wing uh israeli government is not anti-semitic in in the same way that what is criticizing Donald Trump when he was president an insult to me? No, <laughs> as an American, no. <laughs> like I'm, I was doing it all the time. You know, it's fair to criticize a government, and it's not criticizing its people. Um, that's not complicated, um, and yet that's a narrative that you see at any time. There is there is staunch criticism of the Israeli government. You do see claims of anti-Semitism, and that's actually an oversimplification of a more complicated issue in itself. So uh, again, these are the same people that use that whole like it's it's complicated, don't don't try to simplify, don't try to make it as easy as you think it is. Um in a way to hide what is a human atrocity in in some cases. Um and I think I think we benefit from removing some of that smokescreen and not adding to it by constantly thinking that everything is too complicated for us to understand. We can understand it. Um, we just have to actually see it for what it is. I also think there are, you know, there are simple questions or difficult questions that have become simpler over time, like, well, should there be a one state or two state solution? Um, here's the issue. The settlers, and it has been, like I think we have to acknowledge, it's been a very conscious strategy by the Israeli government to basically di create discontiguous areas of Palestinian territory with these settlements. So creating Swiss cheese out of the Palestinian territories, making it harder to create an actual Palestinian state because you have settlement, Jewish settlements on those uh, areas. Um, doing this with the very explicit, <laughs> purposefully doing this to undermine future, future peace negotiations. So there's another simple answer. Stop them from doing this. Like if you don't stop them from doing this, then you're trying to you're you're allowing them to undermine future peace negotiations. And it just seems like the the very, you know, they've been paying lip service to stopping it because they're illegal under inter international law, can't settle occupied territory under international law. But they've largely let it happen and it's funded, you know, it's funded from America. It's it's let happen via the government and, you know, the court system is signing off of it in Israel too. So it's it's like you know, maybe one of the things that they need to focus on is is this particular aspect of the situation, and then they wouldn't have this sort of. You you get you get reported what what is reported in the states is what happens when the missiles are fired, as if that was like the first thing that happened. It was like the missiles are fired, and then Israel has a right to defend itself. It's like shorn of any context of of all this other stuff. So it's it's kind of ironic because the same people saying it's complicated are, are leaving out all this context that. That makes it, uh, quite frankly, makes the answer a little simpler. Um, and that is to say that Israel needs to stop doing this kind of stuff. And it's and and again, it's not like we can. The idea that the purpose of this is ultimately ethnic uh, purity. They want, or, or or you know, ethnic 
majority. They want to keep the country a majority Jewish country. I get it. I get that from the perspective of the Jewish people who were driven and pogromed out of Europe. And even, you know, after the creation of Israel, Jews were driven out of all the other Middle Eastern countries and ended up in Europe. So I get why there is natural skepticism of a country not of a country trying to be the homeland of the Jewish people while also attempting to keep it majority Jewish. I understand why there's tension about that. But at the, the flip side of it is trying to keep your country ethnically pure by creating a perpetual state of war against the people who used to live there, against the multi-ethnic co- group of people who you displace from their land. And you can't do that. You can't, you can't, sorry, you can't do that. Israel has every right to exist as a Jewish homeland. It doesn't have the right to perpetuate its ethnic majority government through perpetual war. So that's where I kind of land on that question. Um, Because you do get very pointed questions. Well, does Israel have the right to exist? If we let the Palestinians in and give them the right to vote, then, you know, it's not going to be a Jewish state anymore. And it's like, well, look, Israel has every right to exist in the sense of a Jewish homeland, but you don't have the right to maintain ethnic purity via violence. You just don't. Nobody does. We've made that decision as uh, as moral being. So sorry, you can't. We got to figure something else out. Um, Eric, I'm curious from your perspective because I think you and Sam um, offer a balance compared to to Dan and I. Um, you know, you, you neither of you are as obsessed following this on Twitter uh, or perhaps even through through um, leftist circles. Have you heard about any of these um, events unfolding these last couple of days? And if so, like how how have you gotten the the information? I've heard very little. It was it's just been general headlines that there's conflict, and you know you you see the names Gaza, Israel, Palestine, and and I did see a video actually, uh, like a story or a clip of uh, this guy driving down one of those streets and there's a bunch of people walking up the street the other way and every other person is asking me hey, are you arab are you arab no i'm jewish i'm jewish i'm Jewish." okay you're cool you're cool but if you would have said arab they would have like you like you said earlier uh about dan they'd probably yeah he would have gotten beat up and there were reports of the cops allowing that kind of stuff to happen when it was anti-arab but that's about as much as i've seen do you guys so think do you guys think that in in the same way that viral videos have uh, helped us see more of the police brutality here in the United States, that you know viral videos in in that region can help um, the world see some of the atrocities going on many times at the hands of the Israeli government and the Israeli army, or do you, do you guys think that we're still going to keep, you know, or at least our government is going to continue to side with? Israel all the time, regardless of the issue for many years to come. Because the Democratic Party does seem to be moving left in that issue, right? Or more in favor of, of at least some, some branches of, of, of the Democratic Party, some in some areas. Um, there was a Vox article that, that mentioned that in some cases the Democratic Party is moving left, but Joe Biden is, is not. Um, I'm not sure if this is going to end up as a schism or if it's just going to be much like the Republican Party, if it's just, you know, just parts of the Democratic Party that are in favor of uh, Palestinian rights, while the vast majority of them 
still favor, you know, quote unquote, Israel's right to defend itself? I don't think it's going to shift, honestly. Um, uh, just in the same way that that Joe Biden or the the sort of moderate power center of the Democratic Party has done a good job, I think, of of maybe. I don't want to call it paying lip service because it is more concrete than that. Uh, moving left on a lot of a lot of like economic issues, but he's also done a, a good job of sort of staking his ground on sort of the middle, uh, or you know, really the center center right on on some of these national security type issues, like the the military, the budget, uh, which was higher than Trump's budget, which we talked about a couple of weeks back. So I think that's that is where the the party is going to be. And I think they've staked their sort of place in that. And I think the movement for the party to become the the movement in the last, you know, few election cycles where the party has become more sort of upper middle class, more suburban. I don't you know, I don't really have polling on that, but my inclination would be to say that those that group of people doesn't have is not as worked up about as this issue as as say like young people or urban uh people from urban centers might be um or they may even be worked up in the other way which is to say very pro israel there are a lot of democrats who are very who are very uh hardcore zionists it's not incompatible with the democratic party so i just don't think it's it's going to be a a turning point. Um, I, I think the the narratives are just too too uh, solidified. Uh, you know, my sister texted me to ask me what was going on about the Israeli Palestinian situation because she doesn't know a lot about it. And uh, I mean, her view was very like, "Well, aren't the Palestinians terrorists?" And then that sort of answers the question: If the Palestinians are inherently a terroristic people, then we have no choice to deal with them than in the sort of more most uh, in the way that we deal with terrorists, which is to say we kill them. But you're you're now talking about an entire group of people that has been reduced to terrorists, like an entire ethnicity of people <laughs> and an eliminationist attitude, which is frighteningly casual, not only in, you know, in in uh, Israeli culture, but in, in American culture, too. Uh Talking about, you know, carpet bombing the Middle East or, or whatever, getting rid of, you know, solving the issue by basically finally, finally solving the issue in the same sense as the final solution, which is to say, just let's wipe off, wipe enough crazy Arabs off the planet so that the other ones sort of learn their place <laughs> and don't act so crazy. Um, uh, I think those attitudes are fairly common. Um Honestly, on the left and on the right, I think they were even more common on the left, you know, in the last, you know, I mean, even watching something like watching the West Wing, you, you're, you're kind of, it's kind of alarming at the amount of anti-Arab racism that's sort of casually uh, thrown around on that show that you're looking at now and you're like, wow, it's really bad. And it was like in the years after 9-11. So you kind of see um where where it came from, but you know it's it's been on the left and the right, and I don't think there's going to be changing that. I, I do not um, think it's going to go away, not anytime soon. I think it's going to be sort of the slow and steady move, but I think there are just too there's too many very key constituencies who care about this issue on the Israel side for Democrats to do to make a wholesale uh, flip on this issue. I think, I think. Um, I think a wholesale flip, yeah, that could be still um, ways off. 
I do believe, at least when it comes to this conflict or these recent events, that you have seen um, more sympathy for the Palestinian side, on at least on leftist circles. Um, I, I want to make it clear, though, I think that when I say that, it's just very basic thing of saying like, hey, perhaps the Palestinians should have human rights too. Um, I'm not, again, and the, the, which that is like, the very starting point of where we should we, we should be far ahead of that uh, even now but i have seen at least more understanding of the of the palestinians conf or side of this conflict uh, in terms of polling uh, there's i don't know if there's a whole lot the the vox article that i quoted does sh uh, uh, feature a, a section where it says that there was a Gallup poll that showed that 53% of Democrats favored placing more pressure on Israel to make compromise, which again, it's pretty nebulous language, uh, but it does say that that's a 10 point jump from 2018 and 20 points higher than 2008. So maybe that's good news. Again, the language is very nebulous. It's just saying, hey, perhaps Israel should have a little bit more responsibility in this whole thing. It doesn't necessarily mean that um, they're willing to look at these um, atrocities for, for what they are. But I have, I, you know, I do take some solace in, in on, you know, on my Twitter feed or on when I watch cable news that there are um, elected officials, activists that are calling uh, for more responsibility on Israel's side. I think, again, that's a starting point. I'm not saying that's that's the end and, and the solution to it all. Um, there's, we should ask for more. And I'm hoping that, you know, with with the um, abundance of viral videos and and just easier for us to get access to, to some of these, even though they're hard to watch, um, easier for us to, to get access to some of these atrocities and see them for what they are, that that'll continue to, that, that the level of support for, for the Palestinians will continue to increase um, little by little, because I think it's, it's a long time coming. Anything else you guys want to add to the subject? Nothing from me. All right. Well, that that's going to be it uh, for this episode of Friendly Reminder. Eric? Uh, it's good to have you as part of our crew. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Dan, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gus. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Friendly Reminder. <laughs>